It's the um, it's the sp- it's space time is bent. The space kind conti- space this is time relativity. continuum. <laughs> the space time continuum space has been distorted. Continuum. <laughs> the space the space it's the sp- <laughs> the space in the time space time and, and the the space time. Welcome to Florida the Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sky. And I'm Lewis. We're your hosts. And Hi. we are here. Um, first of all, I have to say before we get farther, because I we forgot to mention this last week, but the reason why Lewis's audio was so bad on the first few episodes is because Oh come on. What well, <laughs> really want, calling me? Do you want to tell them? <laughs> Lewis. Oh yeah, I was. Um, wait, did we address this last time? No, we meant to, and we forgot. Oh shoot. Um, yeah, I had my microphone turned the wrong way, <laughs> so it was like it was picking up sound like away from my mouth rather than like from it. So, which is we're all good now, though. It we're sounded cool. like he was in a big ginormous room. Yeah, it sounded like I wasn't talking into the mic because I basically were. wasn't. <laughs> So, yeah. Um, So today I brought a story and I'm talking about the Sodder family. Do you do you know this? The Sodder children? Sodder family. Yeah. I do not. I have never heard of this. (gasps) Wow. This is a really fun one. Okay. Fun maybe. Fun's probably not the right word because it's still unsolved. But let me paint the picture for you. Okay. Way back when, like over a hundred years ago. This man named George, who, that's actually not even his real name. His name, his real name is uh, Giorgio Sodu. He's from Sardinia. He was born in 1895, and then he moved to the U.S. in 1908 when he was only 13 years old. His older brother had also joined him, um, and his brother, like, came to Ellis Island, and then he was like, bye, and went right back to Italy, <laughs> which I think is funny. <laughs> like see ya yeah he was like actually i changed my mind this looks terrible so george was like (laughs) 13 he changed his to his american name you know how they did that at ellis island so his name was george Mm -hmm. Sauter, and he worked on railroads and he got a lot of work with the mining industry and how is it spelled s-o-d-d-e-r Sauter. okay yep and so he moved to west virginia and the area that he actually ended up moving to later was a very, like, a lot of Italian people were there. It was a very tight-knit Italian community. Later in his life, he actually met his future wife, Jenny Cipri- Cipriani, in a music store. And she also was from Italy. He eventually started moving up the ranks in this business, and he eventually launched his own company his own trucking company, and he hauled dirt for construction and coal as well. So I'm mentioning that because that comes into play later. So they're establishing their little family in West Virginia, and 
they had 10 children in the 20-year span between 1923 and 1943. And this was in Fayetteville, West Virginia. They were a pretty influential middle-class family, very respected by the community. But George also had some really strong opinions about everything that was happening in the world. So let's remember, this was the 40s. And there were some things happening in Italy in the 40s. <laughs> a certain someone yeah. was happening in Italy in the 40s. I'm not following Sky. I'm not following. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah, there was, <laughs> there was, some, there was some shit going there on. Some, mm-hmm. There were some things mm-hmm. going on. So he was very much against Mussolini. Like, very openly mm-hmm. talked about it. Like, very loudly and everything. But not everyone in this community in West Virginia shared his beliefs. And some of them liked Mussolini. So there was some tension in all this. But this is some just kind of, you know, trying to build the scene a little bit. Right. Okay. So this is where the story gets juicy. So they have 10 kids. Okay. Their oldest one, Joe, he's away at war. The other nine are home. Mm -hmm. And it's Christmas evening on, or Christmas Eve evening, excuse me. So it was Christmas Eve, 1945. They're Mm -hmm. settling down for christmas and everything and the kids are doing the thing it's christmas eve can we open one or two gifts please and they're like yeah sure that's fine but we're gonna go to bed during this a few of the children stayed awake and played with their toys which the oldest daughter marion gave to them so they were all hanging out playing games and then the parents went to bed which also this is so weird for me like christmas eve i mean it was the 40s so who knows what it was like but it's like you're letting your kids just stay up on christmas eve and you're just going to bed like i would stay up all night if my parents didn't make oh, me yeah. go to bed on christmas eve oh my god yeah i wouldn't be able to yeah I, I wouldn't everybody starts to go to sleep everybody's winding down and then around 2 or twelve thirty a.m the phone rings The mom, Jenny, goes to answer it, and it's an unfamiliar voice, and they ask for somebody who they don't know, and it sounds like like a party is going on on the line. There's all these glasses, uh, like the sound of glasses clinking, like toasting and such. So Jenny says, you have the wrong number. She hangs up, goes back to bed. During this time, she noticed that all of the downstairs lights were still on and the curtains were open, and the front door was unlocked. She saw that Marion was asleep on the couch, and she just assumed that everyone else had also went to bed. So she turned off the lights, closed mm-hmm. the curtains, locked the door, and went back to bed. Okay. And then a little while later, she's starting to fall asleep again, and she hears a loud bang on the roof and then a rolling noise. And I know what we're all thinking. Santa Claus. Absolutely. This is the Santa Claus all over again. Santa landed, and he fell off the roof. So she goes back to sleep because she's like, it's just Santa. And then an hour later, she woke up again, this time to smoke. In the room. Oh, no, no, no. This is when things get crazy. This fire breaks out. The family is starting to panic. George and Jenny get up. They grab a few of their children. They're like, let's go. I think they grab they grab four of them. And they run downstairs. They go outside. They, like, shout for the others. But they don't actually, like, go in to see them or get them. They just, like, shout for them as they're leaving the house. And they get outside. George is realizing that their children aren't there so he tries to break a window he cuts his arm really bad and he's like looking through the window he sees that there's just smoke and flames filling the first floor filling the staircase and he's like well i can't go up the stairs i can't get in he usually has a ladder 
on the house that's like leaning against the house and it was gone it was just not there and he's like no worries oh my god i'll go get my trucks because he has two work trucks and that should work he goes there and the trucks aren't working they're not turning on so they send marion who is 17 years old at the time they're like go to the neighbors and go call the fire department it's small town west virginia in 1945 she calls the fire department and nobody answers because nobody is working there's no operator working oh my god so somehow they they get a hold of somebody in the fire department and how they call each other is they just do their own little phone tree Mm -hmm. so remember it's all started at like one in the morning two in the morning that's when the fire started Mm -hmm. but the police don't get there until about seven in the morning because it just oh my God. was so long, and they talked to the fire chief, and the fire chief was like, no, I can't drive the truck, so I need to find somebody who can drive the truck. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's a whole... That's a nightmare. A whole mess. Yeah. Wow. So far, the children that are accounted for are two-year-old Sylvia, 17-year-old Marion, 23-year-old John, and 16-year-old George Jr. Maurice, Martha, Lewis, Jenny, and Betty <laughs> were lost. The fire, here's the thing, though, because even though it took the fire department, like, six hours to get there, the fire only lasted about 45 minutes before it burned the house down, which is nuts. That's, yeah, that's quick. Yeah. So after the fire was out, they searched the grounds on Christmas Day. They searched through the ashes. They didn't find any trace of remains. The chief uh, suggested that the blaze had been hot enough that it just, like, cremated the bodies. Like, they just burned. Not a big deal. Whatever. Right. And the state police officer came and inspector came and said that it was due to faulty wiring. But here's the thing. George had got an electric stove and he was really stressed about it. So he had hired, once it was, like, installed, he had hired a inspector, I guess, from the electric company to come out and double check everything to make sure it was good. And they were like, it's good. Like, it was triple checked. Essentially. Smart dude. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, I don't think that's it. Like, that just doesn't make sense. But whatever. He was mourning. He was really sad. He just thought his five children were dead because he, like, hauls dirt and stuff. He just got a lot of dirt and he covered the land with five feet of dirt and intended to make it into a memorial garden. Before the end of that year, the coroner issued death certificates saying that they died from either fire or suffocation. Oh, man. Yeah. So wow. it's pretty crazy. But here's the thing. There's some weird events surrounding this whole event. First of all, there was a stranger that appeared at the house a few months before the fire. And he wanted to like basically be hired by George. He was like, I, I'm interested in doing some hauling work. What can I do? And he made it to the back of the house and he was pointing at the fuse boxes. And he was like, this is this is terrible. This is going to cause a fire someday. And this wow. was after George had just had all these inspections and stuff. So he's like, I don't believe you. And then another man came to the house and he was trying to sell life insurance for the children. And George declined. And the guy got so pissed off. And he said, quote, your goddamn house is going up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. You are going to pay for the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. Whoa, 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 whoa. Mm hmm. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. 
And then the older Sauter children who survived the event, they actually recalled like a few days before Christmas that there was somebody parked along U.S. Highway 21 and they were watching the younger kids as they were coming home from school. Oh, oh no. So all of these weird events, and I just wanted to do a little reminder about the thing hitting the house and rolling. Yeah. And so there's just like a lot of these weird events and Jenny starts to think, okay, something is up. I don't think we know the whole story. And she starts doing experiments, which I think is just genius and crazy. And she gets some animal bones and she starts burning them herself, basically trying to see if the fire like burns them, like makes them into ash. And it didn't, it was not able to. And she actually went and asked somebody who works at a crematorium, like, how long, how much does it take to burn a body? And they said it's about 2,000 degrees and it burns for two hours. So just as a reminder, their house was destroyed in 45 minutes. So even if the house got to 2,000 degrees, it only burned for 45 minutes. 45 minutes. When they were investigating the site some more, a telephone repairman actually saw that their telephone line had been cut, not burned. And the family recalled that on the day of the fire, when they ran downstairs, there were still lights on in the house, in the downstairs. So if it was, to, the fire was due to faulty wiring, the lights would have been burned out. They like they would not have been on. Oh my gosh. And later, a witness came and he, to the police and he said that he saw somebody with a block and tackle, which is used for removing car engines, mm-hmm. that was around there. And so they never really get into... What was wrong with George's trucks? I wish there was more information about that. They just weren't working. But I feel like you could figure that out pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. You d- Especially if somebody was tampering with it. You could definitely, yeah. At least I think. I mean, yeah. Wow. There was also, so, af- you know, all of this investigating the site is happening after they put the dirt over it. But Jenny found a, or sorry, not Jenny, Sylvia, one of the children, found a hard rubber object in the yard and then Jenny remembered the thing hitting the roof and rolling. And George said it looked like a pineapple bomb. So, like, a bomb that was used in warfare. Yeah, like a like a grenade? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. So, uh... during all this, they're starting to believe that, like, okay, maybe the children are alive. Right. And maybe this wasn't an accident. Maybe this was intentional. Somebody meant to hurt us. The parents are on full alert right now. George and Jenny are just trying to figure out what happened to their kids. While everyone else in town, like the police and the fire department, they're just, they're being really like blasé about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And Ooh. so this is just starting to get more and more traction and people are coming forward and they're saying that, yeah, I, I saw the missing children and I served them breakfast. Um, I saw them at a hotel. I saw them here, blah, blah, blah. Like, there are people saying that they saw them with these two Italian adults. Um, sorry, two Italian men, two Italian women who are all adults at a hotel. And then they were acting really, like, rude and everything and hostile. Oh. There's just a lot of weird stuff. Um, and then in 1947, George and Jenny sent a letter about the case to the FBI. And they received a letter from J. Edgar Hoover that said, and I quote, Although I would like to be a part of, although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be of local character and does not come within the investigative jur- jurisdiction of the bureau. <laughs> but he did tell them he's like, if your police 
asked for our help, we would do it. But the police are shady. Right. And they're not helping. And they're kind of – and I'll get more into this in a second. But it almost is like they're kind of covering it up, too. Uh. And so the Sodders are also realizing this. So what they do is they hire a private investigator. So this one is named C.C. Tinsley. C.C. Tinsley. Do you, do you remember the insurance guy who came to the door? Um. Yes. Yes. A few months before the fire. Right. So – he threatened uh so he had threatened George, but he was also a member of the coroner's jury, which deemed no. the fire accidental. Oh which, my god. Like, let me talk about Holy uh shit. conflict of interest there. Yeah. Like I feel like you should not have those two jobs at the same time. No. Oh my god. Selling insurance policies for the right. very thing that you are investing Oh my god. That nuts. That's nuts. And there was this rumor going around town that the F.J. Morris, who was the fire chief, said that he discovered a quote-unquote heart in the ashes, and he hid it inside a dynamite box and buried it at the scene. And so Tinsley, the investigator, talked to Morris, and they found the spot, they dug it up, and it was just like a liver from a cow. And I guess Tinsley had basically planted it hoping that the family would find any remains and be like, ah, oh yeah, this is my child. I'm going to stop the investigation, which there's so much to that, which doesn't make sense. First of all, it's an organ. Yeah. If it was a fire that burned up ashes, it would burn Just up an organ. Just a liver, yeah. Second, it's in a box. Right. And the, the, like, the organ was untouched by fire. Like, you're not going to open a box and be like, Was oh, it like a metal box? That makes sense. Um, it doesn't specify. I think it was just like a wooden box. That's yeah. what I like to picture. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. The family is just trying to figure out what happened. They think the children are alive. And so they're trying to find them. And George is... They're kind of going crazy as a result. Yeah. And George sees a newspaper picture of school children in New York City. He's convinced one of them is his daughter. So he literally mm -hmm. goes there to the school trying to find her. But then in August of 1949, they... The parents go back to the scene. So they go back through the dirt and they're digging through it. And they find bones. Oh, no. They also find some other things, like damaged coins, a partly burned dictionary. But the bones, they're vertebra. Oh, Okay. Man. Yeah. So they send these bones to the Smithsonian. And this is, this is a quote from the report. The human bones consist of four lumbar vertebrae belonging to one individual. Since the transverse recesses are fused, the age of this individual at death should have been 16 or 17 years. The top limit of age should be about 22 since the centra, which normally fuse at 23, are still unfused. On this basis, the bones show greater skeletal maturation than one would expect for a 14-year-old boy, quote, the oldest missing solder child. It is, however, possible, although not probable, for a f boy 14 and a half to... <laughs> Sorry, the dogs are barking. It's throwing me off. For a boy 14 and a half years old to show 16 to 17 maturation hmm. but the also vertebrae didn't show any fire damage at all and there's no other bones found it was just that one and they didn't find those the first time around exactly which wow. is crazy because the bones were probably from the fill dirt oh which is like okay so there's just like so there's another body so they just felt yeah someone else was killed and Oh my gosh. Isn't that nuts? Now did they did they ever think it was possible that like 
you know, someone, one of their children was killed and, and they, whoever did that went back and buried them in that, in that area. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting theory. I haven't seen that anywhere. I mean, that would be a very, I mean, it's because that would explain the age a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. But this Smithsonian report prompted two hearings at the Capitol in Charleston. Um, and the governor, uh, Patterson, and state police superintendent Burchett told the Sodders their search was hopeless and de- declared the case closed. So despite that, George and Jenny made a huge billboard on their property. And this, like, I had seen this billboard. Not in person. It's in West Virginia. I haven't been over there. But... I've seen pictures of it. It's very, very famous. Um, And it was on their house for a very long time until George and Jenny died. Mm -hmm. But it has the pictures of the children on it. And they started offering reward. And the reward over the years just slowly increased. Went from like $5,000 to like $50,000. Wow. Yeah. And so after this, they started getting tips from all over the country, which were basically dead ends. Somebody saying that Martha was in a convent, another one saying that, like, Lewis was in Texas and he's talking to all these people, blah, blah, blah. Someone in Florida were saying that the children were out there. And George went to all of these leads. He went all over the country pursuing these leads mm-hmm. and never, it never found them. Wow. Then, in 1968, more than 20 years after the fire, Jenny, the, the mother, went to get the mail and found an envelope addressed only to her, and it was postmarked in Kentucky but had no return address. There was a photo of a man in his mid-20s, and then on the back, it wrote, Louis Sauter, I love brother Frankie. I-L-I-L boys, so like ill little boys. A-90132. Oh, wow. Or 35. She and George, so they saw this picture and they were like, this really does look like Lewis. Yeah. Even though he was nine at the time. But a lot of them are really, like, obvious similarities. Like, they have the dark hair, the big eyebrows, like, a lot of these Italian features. Mm-hmm. But they also said that, like, the eyebrows, like, the bone structure of the eyebrows and then the bone structure of the nose was very similar. So, this is where it gets kind of crazy, too. They hired a new private investigator and sent him to Kentucky to go try to figure this out. Mm-hmm. He was never heard from again. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so, because, like, all of this crazy stuff was happening, and they knew all of this crazy stuff was happening, they were scared, rightfully so. Yeah. And so, they didn't publish the letter. They didn't publish the picture or the name of the town where it was coming from. Um, they did put the new picture on the billboard, and they put they like printed these pictures for them to keep too. Wow! And so it was getting to the point where George said, "Like we just want to know what happened. Right. We don't. They just want. We're kind of past the point of caring what happened. We just want to know right. exactly." And then he died in 1968. Oh my goodness! So just like a year later, less than a year later after that picture. Yeah. And then Jenny um, started doing more work to the home, and then she only wore black for the rest of her life until she died in 1989. Oh. And that's when the property was sold and the billboard came down. Oh, my goodness. There are all these theories 
about what happened to the kids and if they're still alive. And actually, the youngest and last surviving Sauter child, Sylvia, who is now 69. Mm-hmm. Wait. That was at the time of this article. When was this article written? Oh, this article was in 2012. Oh, wow. Oh, so if she's, she's alive, like... she's 79. Oh, my goodness. But she was the last surviving one. And she spent a lot of time like on websites, like web sleuth websites, trying to help put these pieces together. Wow. Because she was two when it happened. But there's all these theories about what happened. Yeah. So just do you have any of your own based on the story and everything I've told you? I don't know. These kinds of cases, like hearing about them, drives me crazy because there's just so much so much to piece apart. Like like the extra mm-hmm. bones showing up that they didn't find before and and then, you know, the the whole political aspect of it where you could have had these, you know, fascist <laughs> sympathizers conspiring to harm this guy. And yeah, I don't know. That I I don't know. I mean, I my guess is that they that they were kidnapped and uh, and then killed and they just yeah, I don't know. Cuz I mean it, it would yeah. I can't imagine that they just let them go, you know? As sad yeah. as that that is like to think about. I can't imagine they they would just let them go. Yeah. There's a lot of big theory that the children may have been taken by the Sicilian Mafia. Oh. And then the fire was started in a way to extort money from the Sodders, but no one ever asked them for money. Like, there was no connection there. Right. So that's one thing. That's, like, that's the other thing. Because, like, if somebody kidnapped them, like, what were they planning on doing with that? Right. Like, there's no, there's no, there was no ransom. So there was the guy who wanted to, you know, them to purchase insurance. But that yeah. was for that was for death, yeah. which they ruled anyway. So whether they were alive or not after they were kidnapped, it wouldn't have mattered to that guy. Yeah, like capturing them for ransom money. I mean, yeah, they if they never did mm-hmm. that, yeah. And like, there's a similar theory that there were the mafia was trying to recruit George, and he kept saying no, like he was trying to fight it, and they're like, we get what we want type of attitude mm-hmm. and but that's just you know like so somebody kidnapped the children and so there's also a theory that the kidnap the children were kidnapped by someone who knew them and they burst in and they're like hey your house is on fire come with me yeah and left because if they were in the living room marion is just a really heavy sleeper mm-hmm. yeah and then heavy, there is yeah. another theory just- that the kids were abducted by an illegal child selling agency mm. that was also being supported by the local police. Mm. Mm. So that's why they, they think like, you know, politicians are involved with this child selling business. And then also because George Sauter was like part of the coal trucking business. And then the apparently there was a link between the coal industry and the mafia. Oh, okay. So yeah. that's that's a lot of that. And so that that comes with like the code that was on Lewis's picture where it was 90132 
So I guess 90132 was a postal code for Palermo, Sicily at the time. Oh. Oh my god. Yeah, see, they get, that's oh, that's so complex. Like all of the layers to this. I yeah. I don't know what to think. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And still to this day, like we have no idea. No idea. Not a clue. Mm-mm. Wow. That's that's just that is a nightmare. That's oh my goodness. Kidnappings are just ugh. The, those, sto- kidna- those stories like, just they stress like, me out it's not even like a, it's like we don't even know if it's a kidnapping which is even right. worse yeah we don't know if it was a kidnapping or a, yeah like it's just a missing missing person yep and a, and a tragic fire on christmas yeah and then five half of your children are gone mm-hmm. and you don't know where or why or how yeah even no answers for the rest of your life bonkers yeah Oh. A really sad one. Sorry, this was a bummer for sure. <laughs> no, I mean, very interesting, though. Like, uh, yeah. It, it, like, I. And there's, I there's a limit. There's I limited heard it information. Over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, I had heard the term solder children. I had heard that for a long time, but I never, like, sat down and was like, what does this actually mean? Yeah. And I stumbled upon it, and I was like, oh, oh I hadn't heard about this. And I will say, my sources were the Smithsonian Magazine. Um, the Unsolved Mysteries Wikipedia. Those were like my two biggest ones. I did also listen to the podcast, So Stuff You Should Know, which also I think they heavily relied on the Smithsonian Magazine article as well. And then I tried to listen to uh, Morbid does a podcast episode on this as well. It's their episode 10. And I tried to listen to it, but I was listening to it in my car where I don't have a speaker system so i just listened with my 20 dollar amazon speaker <laughs> and because it was one of their first episodes i couldn't really understand them so yeah. i i tried but i couldn't but they do have an episode as well oh nice so that was this week thanks for letting us take a week off i needed that yeah I don't know about seriously you, oh yeah i needed it i needed that i needed some r that was good yeah and lewis will come with a story next time i'm saying it on the podcast so that's right I'm held. It comes into fruition. <laughs> yep, got a fire under my butt, so it'll 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 yes. happen. Yep. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at Floored the Podcast. And if we ever talk about pictures, like I'll post pictures of the solder children and I'll post pictures of Lewis Solder, supposedly, when he's an adult. Um, and you can always find that on the Instagram at Floor the Podcast. You don't need an Instagram account to go on there either. Don't know if people are aware of that. You can just go to Instagram.com slash Floor the Podcast. And please go like and rate and review us on everything. Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You guys have been so great about that. And it's been so fun to oh, yeah. actually get ratings. Seriously. And share it with your friends and family very nice you guys are the best listeners ever that's right okay and with that we leave you with our favorite tidbit of advice which is if you shit your pants you get to go home